Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Okay, a simple day, I think. A safely simple day. Snap my fingers, rolling right into the day. We got a plan, we can execute it. Curfew was nice and late last night, so the day was largely unaffected. Although the place I wanted to get dinner was uh, was still closed, but I think we can I think we can handle it. I think we can handle that. Great work uh, by everybody across the NBA spectrum. After finding out the news yesterday, we have been working around the clock to try to get leagues ended out. Figured I'd start today's show by saying hello. So, you know, Uncle Leo to everyone out there. Uh, I am Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Hoop ball is the name of the website. Hoop-ball.com is the URL. Hoop ball fantasy is the Twitter handle. And hoop ball official is the brand new, and when I say brand new, I actually mean resurrected hoop ball instagram page that's right hoop ball is officially on instagram it was something that the team started a long time ago multiple years back but then laid dormant since oh geez when was the last uh three years ago i think so it was effectively not existing but um two of our wonderful show hosts have taken it upon themselves to bring it back from the dead, William and Lyle. Nice work, guys. So check that out. That's Hoopball Official on Instagram. No hyphens. So it's just all one word. Hoopball Official on Instagram. That is back. It'll have uh, largely stuff that we have on Twitter right now while the NBA is shut down, but it's going to have all sorts of interesting content. Um, Luke Wheaton, who does some of our graphics work here at Hoopball, he's going to be putting together some cool stuff you can check out over there. Also, uh, and that'll just be growing into a new thing, a new way to stay in touch with us here at Hoopball. If you happen to listen to this podcast and you have Instagram, but maybe you don't have Twitter, this would be a way to get some of the top Hoopball stories on a day-to-day basis. So very happy about that. Nice work, guys. Excited to see that back in action over at Hoopball. Um, NBA likely to come back on July 31st. That was the big news of yesterday. Nothing really since then. Woj sending out a tweet that some of the team owners that uh, were not invited back are less than thrilled, but I think probably an equal number of them are actually kind of happy to not have to go back because it's a safety issue. There's a liability element to all of this, and it sounds like they're all just going to vote to go ahead when the vote later today 
Anyway, that's today, guys. It's June third or June fourth. Excuse me. It's Thursday, June fourth. You know, sometimes I say the wrong date because I'm recording the night before. I'm actually recording right now on Thursday morning. I'm just an idiot and said the wrong thing out loud. <laughs> get get it together, Bespris. Holy mackerel. So a uh, weird day where there really isn't any traditional NBA news. We've been we've been part of this this ramp up now for basically three weeks when we thought we'd get some news but on the week of June 1st. And I said, come on, guys, all I want for my birthday this year is some good news on the NBA and baseball. And uh, we got some good news on the NBA. Nothing really out of the baseball side. I still think that with the NBA settled into a plan, most likely, and the NHL settled into a plan, and football still with some time left to figure things out, I, I just, can you can you really imagine baseball, one sport, screwing this up? I mean, I guess... I guess. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's baseball. They could screw it up. Ah, well. Uh, So what do we have on tap today, then? Well, a couple pieces of good news. Good news piece number one. I finally got my act together, and I'll be recording with Steve this afternoon. So tomorrow's episode will feature the mighty Steve Vidovich. He's been working extraordinarily hard over on our live show platform at Hoopball, which if you guys haven't been checking that out, you just, you absolutely have to. The continuing Hoopball expansion draft had uh, another episode last night. You can check those out. They're available on YouTube after the fact, so you can watch them on replay. Uh, William Surio and Santino discussed the Pacers, the Clippers, the Grizzlies, and the Heat, basically players that they would protect in the event of an expansion draft and why. And uh, just they're, they're going through the whole process. Pretty cool way, I think, to knock out some time here while the NBA is asleep. Taking a four-month nap. All good stuff. All good stuff. Oh, almost forgot. The Hoopball Lakers podcast is back. Our wonderful pal Ethan Noroff is uh, back. He had a lot of stuff going on, sorted all that out. We're very thrilled to have him back on the mic so the Hoopball Lakers podcast returned late last night. Make sure to go check that out there at Hoopball Lakers on Twitter. And, of course, our Hoopball Gambling podcast at Hoopball Gaming is the Twitter handle. And today in sports betting is what that's called. Okay, that's enough stuff at the beginning. A lot of promo today. We didn't do much promo recently because there's been so much NBA news, but I figured today was the day. If you have questions, by the way, on how to end your leagues as we transition now into a fantasy discussion, please feel free to hit me up. I put out about a 16-tweet thread yesterday on how I've been ending leagues, and I've been working with some other league commissioners on how to handle the monetary breakdown, because everybody's got a little, some different stuff going on. And one of the questions that came up a bunch yesterday, uh, both on Twitter and outside Twitter, was, what do we do if my head-to-head league had a regular season prize in addition to the playoff prize, can I give out, like, let's say it's a $1,200 pot, 12-team, $100 league, and first place in the regular season got 300 bucks, and then 900 got split in the postseason in some sort of uh, maybe 500, 300, and 100, so that, you know, the, the runner-up, week actually has relevance or maybe you just split it 500 400 top two or 600 300 or something like that 
among the top two. So the regular season first place team got 300 bucks. The winner of the league is going to get 600. The second place team got 300 as well. What if your league ended with the playoffs either not having started or in the first round? How do you deal with that $300 regular season prize? Because with the way we've been breaking things down, the first place team has been getting more money anyway. Remember, we've been talking about it all week long. Our poll showed that the first place team tends to win leagues about 43% of the time anyway. They have a first round bye. They're generally the best team in the league. So it's not a coin flip. It's not a 25% chance they're winning the league. It was We found out it was above 40. So do you still give them, you know, if you were in a traditional league with six teams that were making the playoffs and you were trying to sort out how the money was breaking down, is that a team that's going to get $400 for just being in first place because of how we're doing payouts and another $300? And I think the answer to that is no. You can't give them the $300 regular season prize and give them a massive advantage for being in first place in your payout scale. If you're going to give out a first place prize for the regular season, you probably have to go to coin flip method for the rest of your payouts. And that's tough because you probably also have to build in giving back the buy-in for fifth and sixth place. So right off the bat, if you're going to give out the regular season $300 prize to the first place team, and you're going to give 100 apiece to the fifth and sixth place teams, you're down to $700 to pay out one, two, three, and four. That's rough. That does not give you a whole lot to work with. If you said 12%, if you're doing the coin flip method among the remaining teams, you have to do the coin flip method as though you're past the first round of the playoffs, right? Because you've already decided you're giving $100 to fifth and sixth place. So now you're just saying that all four teams have a 25% chance to win. So at that point, you're doing 25% of 700, which is what? Buck 75? $175 a piece for all four teams. You know who that sucks for? The second place team. Because now they're the one team that's not getting the benefit of a first-round buy. So what I would do in that instance, again, if I've decided that I am paying the $300 regular season prize in this particular scenario, is you go ahead and you give a quarter to each of third and fourth place of that remaining 700 That takes you down to 350 to split between first and second place. And then, instead of splitting that in half... Second place is going to get a larger share of that remaining 350 because first place already has 300 in the bank. That, my friends, my commissioner friends, is up to you. I would consider, because you've now done 175 to third and fourth place and you want second place to feel like they got something, I would consider 275 for second place. 375 now would be the final amount first place gets. And I get it. They didn't get that big of an advantage in that instance for winning the league. But if you gave them the first place $300 for the regular season and you gave them the giant playoff chunk, now you're talking about the first place team getting, what, maybe 500 bucks. 
without playing any rounds of the playoffs? I don't like it. And I don't think your league mates would like it either. I think you could probably make a reasonable argument in that particular league setting to get first place up to 400 or 450. That's probably as high as you can get without people revolting. So up it a little bit is basically the very short version, the very short answer to that question. Up it a little bit. If you were going to do something like, I don't know, 300 for first place, and mm, let me make sure I'm getting all these numbers right. You got 200 knocked out there. You got 1,000 left for the top four. Uh, you could go three. Uh, yeah, all right. You know what? You could go a little bit higher, I guess. Try to get first place up to 450 in that league where you've got a regular season payout. They get a little bit of an advantage. Whatever we discussed on yesterday's show... And I've changed those numbers around because I've done so many iterations of this for different leagues. Just give first place a little bit back and siphon it off of some of the other ones. Because those teams knew that there was a big edge to being in first place. They should have been fighting harder for that spot during the regular season anyway. And in your head-to-head leagues, your regular season was basically done. It's not like in Roto where you could say, well, there were four weeks left. Things can change. By the way, things can't really change in Roto leagues with four weeks left if you're in a games cap format. At this point, you're just piling it up. You're just getting everybody to roughly the same number of games played. That's what the last four and a half weeks of the regular season are in Roto, is category hunting, but not changing your position all that much, because after 80% of the season's done, it's pretty hard to move an average. Think about it this way. And this is, this is the, the magic of weighted averages here on the podcast. And then we're segueing into some of my favorite free agent pickups of the year. 80% of your season's done. If you got, I don't know, think about taking tests, I guess. If you got a 90%, if you got 90 points on your first eight tests, and then you got 10 points on your last two tests, how much did that really move your overall average? That moved your overall average from 9 to 9.2. And that's with a pretty sizable jump. So if you're looking at your team and you're like, oh, well, my team's been averaging like 1.05 steals per game for the first 80% of the season, your team's going to probably have to average closer to like 1.5 or 2 steals per game to actually move that in any meaningful way. Can you do that? Probably not. And that's why the average method works. Let's talk free agents. I've been I, this, this is a topic that I've had on on deck basically since the end of last week, and it just keeps getting pushed back because of other generally good stuff. But we're getting to it today, damn it. And nothing will stand in my way. Here are at least half, and we'll see if we can get to all of them, of my favorite ultra-late draft picks or free agent pickups from this fantasy season. I'm going to give you all 10 of them, and we'll work our way through them in no particular order. Rashawn Holmes, actually the order we're working through them in is the order that they finished their nine-category per-game ranking. Rashawn Holmes, who, hoop ballers, you guys likely drafted him in the last or second-to-last round, but a lot of leagues he was a free agent. Norman Powell, who was basically not drafted anywhere, 
Davis Bertans, who was drafted in a handful of leagues. I think um, it was either Matt Smith or Kyle McCune. One of those two guys had uh, a, a nice ranking on Davis, and that pushed him into some drafts. Will Barton, I drafted him in a couple of spots. Generally, he was a free agent. Evan Fournier was a late draft pick, I think. He went in most drafts, right? Like, if you had more than 12 rounds in your draft, he generally went, but he was really late. OG Ananobi, his ADP was 138, so he was an extraordinarily late draft pick and probably a free agent in a couple of leagues. Nerlens Noel, I drafted him in a few spots. He was a hoop ball guy, but he was a free agent in a lot of spots. Nemanja Bialica, he was definitely a free agent in everywhere. Devontae Graham, same story. Daniel Tice, same story. Those guys were definite free agents. So the guys on this list that were 100% free agents basically weren't drafted anywhere outside of, you know, 18 or team or deeper leagues were Norman Powell, uh, Nemanja Bielitsa, Devontae Graham, and Daniel Tice. The guys that were drafted very, very late in hoop ball leagues were Rashawn Holmes, Nerlens Noel, and the guys that were drafted... Pretty late in most leagues were Will Barton and OG Ananobi and Evan Fournier and then Davis Bertans, who was kind of a mixed where he went, we don't know. But he was drafted in some, not in others. As I'm thinking this thing through, I'm realizing we might not get through all 10 of these names, but we'll start, and I want to make sure each guy gets their rightful amount of time. We have things we want to discuss about these guys. So let's start at the top of the list with our favorite the guy that was all set to carry us this year before blowing out his shoulder. The wonderful, the mysterious, the magical Rashawn Holmes, who finished at number 33 in nine category leagues on a per-game basis. He played in 39 games before getting hurt, averaged 13 points, eight rebounds, a steal, 1.4 blocks, 65% shooting from the field, and 80% at the free-throw line. It was the year we all knew was coming for Rashawn Holmes, if ever a team were to give him some darn playing time. And finally, and it's still not entirely clear if it was just dumb luck or if the Kings gulp knew what they were doing, Holmes ended up playing. As you recall, he wasn't playing much at the start of the season first three games he played 17 17 and 15 minutes that was going to be enough for probably top 150 value we know with him it doesn't take much to actually get him over that threshold but it certainly wasn't going to be enough and then Marvin Bagley got hurt and everything changed he played 30 minutes the very next game against Denver had 24 points 13 rebounds and two blocks and a brilliant performance and he was just off to the races from there prior to his injury on January the 6th. He actually did play two games after coming back prior to the league getting shut down. Uh, had 10-8 and eight with a block and 6-3 uh, and three with two blocks, but was his minutes were being monitored and he was sort of on his ramp back up to the thing. But missed two months with his shoulder injury. That was, that was rough. That was a massive blow to all of our fantasy seasons because I, I'd say on the whole, folks that read and listen to hoop ball were all over Rashawn Holmes, for years now, this is a guy we've been waiting on. Remember, way back, right when Hoopball was first founded, Rashawn Holmes managed to play his way into 21 minutes 
for Philadelphia. That was 2016-2017, and he had 10 points, 5.5 rebounds, and and 1.6 combined defensive stats, and he was actually pushing fantasy value in 21 minutes that year. But he could never see enough playing time. Last year in Phoenix, there were stretches where he was far better than the starting unit, but they didn't want him on the floor. He wasn't part of their future, and so that didn't translate. And then all of a sudden, he got his chance. Marvin Bagley got hurt. Someone in the Kings' front court was always hurt, and Rashawn stepped into the minutes. Truthfully, even if he was stuck at 17 or 18 minutes, he probably still would have been borderline fantasy useful. But getting up to 29, well, then it was cruising time. In addition to all the other stuff that he does so well, he made an uptick in both percentages categories, where this is a guy who had been shooting 58% from the field for his career as a role man in general. So he was already a high field goal percent guy. And then somehow this season bumped that up to 65%, perhaps in part because he got to play with better people. He wasn't part of a weird mishmash second unit that was just trying to get a few looks in his couple minutes on the court. He knew he had plenty of time. He only took the shots that he felt comfortable with. And frankly, he probably got a little bit better. I would venture to say he definitely got better at shooting the basketball because his free throw percent was a career high 80 after 73 last year and right around 70 the first three seasons of his career. Block rate actually came down a tiny bit from last year to this year, um, but that does tend to happen as guys' minutes ramp up. Steal rate was pretty close to the same, just getting to play more minutes. That was the big deal for him there. So this was all about opportunity because we knew Rashawn Holmes was a guy that would rocket boost to the top of the board if he ever got more than 20 minutes a game. 29 was just an insane level of gravy. Unfortunately, this is the ultimate in teases because this was supposed to be our chance to finally cash in on three years of waiting and watching. We're watching you, Rashawn Holmes. We're watching you. We're going to get you. We're going to have you on our team when this moment comes because eventually it will come. The problem now is that because we were the only site that was hyping Rashawn Holmes for three and a half years, we had all of the opportunity to get him for the breakout moment, and then the breakout moment was cut short by a two-month injury and then a pandemic. So he only got to play until the beginning of January. Now he's on everybody's radar. He's no longer a hoop ball special. He's an everybody special. And... He's coming into a situation, and we'll see it here because the Kings are one of the 22 teams that would be coming back to play. He's coming into a situation where Marvin Bagley is healthy again. So we don't even really know what Rashawn Holmes' role is going to be on this team. Does Nemanja Bialica see a slight downtick in minutes? Uh, The Kings were actually kind of liking utilizing Alex Len prior to the break. Does he see any playing time at all? How high... How many minutes can they possibly get to Rashawn Holmes? My answer is not 29. I don't know what the exact number is going to be. It's going to be higher than the 17 he had to start the year, but lower than the 29 he had when he was posting second-round value. I mean, he was so, so impressive. For two and a half months, he was impressive. This was, was not a fluke. 
But 29 minutes getting dialed back to, I don't know, 20 to 22? Yeah, that puts a damper on things. And that might be what you're staring down the barrel of next year. Unless they get rid of somebody and clear out room because Rashawn is signed for another year. They like him. Clearly, they like him. I think they finally now realize they have something good and they have something good on the cheap, making only $4.8 million this year and five next season. Well, I mean, with the way salaries are going to be weird post-pandemic. Regardless, it was a crazy cheap contract when they signed him, and it's still pretty damn affordable for one of the best role men in the NBA that nobody knew about. Problem is that if he's going to start getting drafted in the 30s and 40s, he's going to completely obliterate his value. In all likelihood, you're going to see more of a Rashawn Holmes that you saw three and a half years ago when he was inside the top 100, but just simply wasn't playing enough minutes to be full-time relevant. You might be looking at sort of like a weird, tweaked iteration of Nerland's Noel in that he'll probably see fewer defensive stats, but a far better free throw shooter and a better scorer. Both guys can finish around the rim. Rashawn Holmes has a little bit more he can do offensively than Nerlens Noel. Maybe even more than a little bit. So, unfortunately, while this, I think we can still count as a pretty big win, because largely we, as a hoopball organization, had Rashawn Holmes this year for the 40 games he was dominating, it's bittersweet, because this should have been our mega cash-in moment, and it will never be. Because next year, people are going to be aware of him. And people are going to be drafting him. We have to figure out where, when is too soon. Remember, Nerlens Noel finished at number 73, and he did it in uh, just a handful of minutes. He did it in 18 minutes a game. If Rashawn Holmes is stuck at 20, 21 minutes next year, he'll still probably be inside the top 90. I mean, I still I have no problem with you guys drafting him next season if we're thinking 20, 21 minutes, he's still a value play at that point, but he ain't getting inside the top 40. 20, 21 minutes, if you dial back what he was doing this year, you're looking at probably more like 10 points per game. I know you're taking him down by not a third, about a quarter of the minutes he was playing. So remove a quarter of 13. That's about three and change. Gets him down to 10, move a quarter of eight and a half rebounds. That gets him into the sixes somewhere. Steals down to 0.75, blocks down to 1.1, something like that, or one. That's still a top 100 guy, especially if he's shooting 65% and 80%. Still inside the top 100, but the cash-in year was this one, and injury and virus, well, kind of killed it. Norman Powell is the next name on our list, who finished at number 53 on a per-game basis in 9-cat, but also had his season obliterated by injury. He only played 44 games this year. And, much like Rashawn Holmes, it wasn't clear that he was going to have value this year until bodies went down, he stepped up, and Toronto had no choice but to give him big minutes. He was playing some early in the year. It wasn't quite as severe as the Rashawn Holmes situation because if you look at the first seven or eight games of the year when Toronto was mostly healthy, there were three games in there where Norman Powell played 27 minutes or more. 
Mind you, he didn't do much with his playing time in those games. He had one where he scored 19 points, two steals, and a rebound. That's not much. He had another one where he had seven, six, and three with three steals, a little bit more well-rounded. In the very first game of the year, he actually played 29 minutes and only had five points and eight boards. But it was when guys start to drop, Kyle Lowry, Freddie Van Vliet, etc., that he stepped up and actually started taking some shots. And at that point, he sort of, he, he manipulated himself into, at the time, a very good scorer in the starting unit. And as they got healthy, he turned himself into a fantastic bench scoring option. So he kind of retooled his game to be a Lou Williams-style flamethrower coming off the pine and just quickly getting in there and firing off 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 shots. He was busy, man. He was busy as heck. He took 21 shots in the final, in two of the final three games. He, he only played a minute 35 in the last game before the break. Uh, supposedly he was going to play in the next one if it actually happened. But this was a dude that... Even as the team was getting right, he was still playing starters-level minutes. Yes, it helped him a great deal when any one of the other guards was out. That includes OG Ananobi, if he were to have missed any games, which he didn't really. Mostly, when Freddie Van Vliet was out, his minutes trended up towards 40. If Kyle Lowry was out, his minutes trended up towards 40. If those two guys were both healthy... Norman Powell was generally more in the 25-minute range, but as we saw, that was actually still enough for him to have fantasy value. 25 minutes a game, he was putting up about 15 points, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists, really, really strong in the percentage categories. 50 from the field, 84 at the free throw line. He shot 48% from the field last year, so it wasn't that big of a leap, which leads me to believe that it is, in some respects, sustainable. I don't know that he's going to do 50% again next year, but a career 45 mark, and prior to last season, he was down in the 42 range. That feels like a number that has now changed. He's changed his game, and he is a better shooter from the field. Is it going to be 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51? We don't know for sure. But he shot 40% from downtown. Pretty good indicator that even if his shot profile changes a bit, he can still put up a really good field goal percent. He's a very good foul shooter. Has been throughout his now five-year NBA career. That doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. Doesn't do much in the way of rebounding or assists. And doesn't really block shots. Steals are fine if unspectacular. We'll take them. They are A-OK. They'll probably get you over one in 25 minutes a game. If you were to play full mega starters minutes, you'd see some giant steals numbers there, like 1.6, 1.7. He's pretty good, actually, at that category, but it's going to come down to whether or not he's actually on the floor. Another little piece of upside for Norman Powell next year is that he is one of the guys that's actually signed for next year. So as a young player, and kind of pushing himself into a better role with the team, he's on salary next season, and he has a player option for the year after that. So Toronto's going to play him. He's part of their future. He's part of what they're building with the rest of that young core. Ananobi, Van Vliet, 
Maybe Boucher. Do we know? Maybe Pascal Siakam. I think they're going to find a way to get him on the floor. And if that means playing him at the three, yeah, they'll be pretty small. Van Vliet, Lowry, Powell, Ananobi as the small four. Siakam at the five. I think you see that lineup some next year. Which means there's ample opportunity for him to get minutes. I think you might even see him trend up from the 24-25 he was at when the Raptors were healthy this year. Because next season, they're going to be down some big men. The Raptors are going to be going younger and smaller. And Kyle Lowry is an expiring contract. He might get moved next season at some point. Might. These things don't always pan out. He's a fan favorite there. Sort of part of their culture and core in Toronto. But unless they can, unless they think they can get back to championship-level competition... In, in one more offseason, I don't I don't know what that they shouldn't at least be exploring stuff with him. He's only on a one-year deal now. They extended him by one additional season. They could trade him, and then they, they could try to sign him back in the offseason if they wanted to. Right? I think you can do that. Maybe not. I don't know how they—maybe there's something in the, in the contracts that says no. But I, I think you could. If you're a free agent, you're a free agent. I know there's rules about guys getting released, traded, and then released, then going back to the original team. That you can't do, but I'm fairly certain in the offseason he could sign back with Toronto if he wanted to. So they could explore trades of Kyle Lowry, make a run at free agents in this next offseason when everybody's a free agent, and maybe they bring him back as part of that. All of these are reasons to think that Norman Powell is going to have a decent body to work with next year. He's going to have opportunity. He very well might. I mean, look, here's the beauty of Toronto. They're going to play these guys until they crump right on the court. So if they want to play Norman Powell, he's going to see huge minutes. I mean, you could you could actually see him improving season over season. And I don't know that people are going to be as excited by him as perhaps they should be because a lot of his stuff is kind of boring. Why? Well, he's good at both percentages and turnovers. He's good at the three categories that people pay the least attention to. I know I've talked about how percentages and defensive stats are my four favorite categories, but when you're talking about a guy that should slip under the radar, how do you isolate those types of guys? Look for guys that are sub-league average, in the popcorn stats, and for Norman Powell, he's sub-league average in two of the three. Rebounds and assists, he's below league average. Scoring, he's basically right on league average, so that's not exactly exciting. Steals, he was above. Maybe that draws a little bit of attention to him. But generally, his best categories this year, field goal percent, free throw percent, and turnovers. Those are not categories that make you salivate. Point in case, look around him in the guys that were ranked between, you know, five slots in front of Norman Powell, which is around Jonas Valanciunas and Donovan Mitchell, and five slots after him, which was D'Angelo Russell, Kevin Love. What do those guys all have that he doesn't? Popcorn stats. Donovan Mitchell scored 24 points a game. Jamal Murray at 19 and 5. Tobias Harris, 20 and 7. JV, 15 and 11. Norman Powell, 16 points, 
three and a half rebounds, one and a half assists. No one's paying attention. I think he could be an interesting value next year. And I'm excited about it because, unfortunately, his injuries put a a pretty good damper on this season. But all of us that were waiting it out were rewarded. One of the issues with Toronto, and now we know this going forward, is that they're just going to list all of their injured guys as out indefinitely until they're not. Oh, they're just out. And then all of a sudden on like a Tuesday, you're like, oh, by the way, Norman Powell got upgraded from out to doubtful. You know immediately he's playing Wednesday. Because as soon as they're anything besides out indefinitely, they're just playing. It's like, all right, you know what? Toronto's taking the tack of media. You need to forget that we even have this player. And when he's ready, we'll tell you. And that's annoying. Third name on our list was Davis Bertans, another guy who stepped into a giant role when the guys around him got hurt. Now, he on the, is a little bit more, just from a, a season arc, a little bit more like Rashawn Holmes than Norman Powell. What we saw from Norman Powell was that he wasn't going to have that big of a role. He got to do more. He got a taste of it and then wouldn't give it up. Basically, with Norman Powell, it was like, oh, this is what life is like when you actually get usage on the court. This is what life is like when I actually control how many shots I'm taking. Guys came back, and Norman kept shooting. With Bertans, when guys came back, he kind of stopped shooting. Now, admittedly, he took a whole bunch of shots the last four or five, six games, but he went through a long stretch prior to March where he kind of disappeared. So this was a season of three chunks for Davis Bertans, a very long first chunk where he was crushing because the entire Washington front court was hurt for a stretch. Thomas Bryant was out. Rui Hachimura was out. Do I need to talk about Yamahimi? He actually was playing for stretches, but he also missed some. Mo Wagner was out. Anyone that had an opportunity to take minutes from Davis Bertans was hurt. And so for long stretches, he was playing close to 30 minutes a game. He was taking about 10 three-pointers a night, and he was making about half of them. He was going nuts. You can look at his game log, and you can basically, you could spot with almost the naked eye when guys started coming back. Like, it's, it's really easy. It's really easy to look and say, I bet guys started coming back on... Towards the end of January. Middle end of January. Breton's also missed about two and a half weeks uh, right around the turn of the year, if you want to blend that into the rest of the stuff. But on January 20th, and I don't know if guys came back before that, but on January 20th, 20th, he went two for five from three-point line. He went four for 12 in the next ball game. But after that, he shot single-digit three-point attempts in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven games in a row. He hadn't done that basically since the beginning of the year, when the Wizards were also relatively healthy. Not everyone had gone down yet. Thomas Bryant hadn't had his stress reaction yet. Rui Hachimura hadn't pulled his groin yet. Mo Wagner hadn't had his undisclosed weirdo. I'm just gonna miss two months injury yet. About three weeks into the season, everybody got hurt. Davis Bertans was unleashed. He took double-digit three-pointers 
almost every single night after that. Roughly half the games he played. He took 10 or more three-pointers, and he had 9 and 8 in a lot of the ones where he didn't hit double digits. And then all of a sudden, starting on January 20th, after that 12-burger on the 22nd, it went 8-9-4-6-7-7-9-8-9-6-7. Yeah, there were some 9s in there, but there were also 4s, 6s, and 7s. So the question is, going forward, how much is Davis Bertans going to do? How much does he get to do? It's going to depend heavily on the health of the guys around him. His biggest moments came predominantly when Thomas Bryan was either out or on a strict minutes limit. And Rui Hachimura was heavily out for this stuff. Not all of them, but some. The Wizards like Thomas Bryant. They like him. I mean, we might actually find out when this when the team comes back here uh, for, if you want to call them meaningful, but it's questionable, games prior to the playoffs, how much they're actually going to play Thomas Bryant and Davis Bertans. We might actually get some information on the Wizards from these these eight games they're going to play coming up uh, at the end of, the, of July, beginning of August. But he signed for two more years in Washington. He is presumably their more traditional center I don't know what you call him of the future, but he's certainly their center of the now. And he didn't play that much this year. Thomas Bryant only averaged 23 and a half minutes a game. You have to think coming into the year, the plan was to get him up into the 26 to 28 range at least. And John Wall's coming back next year. There's a lot going on in Washington that's going to cramp the style of Davis Bertans. So while he finished this season at number 62, and he had about a two-month stretch where he was a top 40 guy, and he had about a a one-and-a-half-month stretch where he was outside the top 100, we have to roll that all together and ask ourselves, how many three-pointer, how many attempts can he even get next year? He took 11 shots a game this season. Are they going to bring him back is another question. He's got a lot swirling around him. And frankly, I'm a little bit nervous. We really have to watch that one closely. Where does he end up? Is he going to end up in a place that gives him opportunity? Is he going to stay in Washington? And if he does, what's his role with this team? Gunner off the bench, most likely. But how much can he get done? Let's do one more guy before we put a pin in this one, and that one more guy is Will Barton, who, to me, was one of those ones, he almost falls into the Derrick Rose camp of players that I was drafting at the very end of fantasy drafts, and people were laughing at me. Not as much as Derrick Rose. I drafted Derrick Rose in a few spots, and people laughed at me, and then he was actually pretty damn good until Detroit went into tank mode, he went into injury prevention mode and didn't start playing very much. Derrick Rose was basically a top 90 guy all season long until Detroit pulled the plug. Will Barton, he didn't elicit as many laughs on fantasy draft night, but he was completely forgotten. It was almost like his 81-game season two years ago hadn't even happened. Remember, he averaged 16-5-4 and four with a steal and two three-pointers that year. 
He was good. He was near the top 50 two seasons back. And then last year, he was hurt. He played 43 games. He had core injuries, which you basically never recover from, at least not quickly, not in the middle of a regular season. And everything was down. He shot 40%, career 43 guy, up around 44, 45 more recently. So I would even call him a career 44 or 45 guy. That was down at 40. 77% at the free throw line was down from 81 the previous year, although that actually seemed to stick season over season. He only averaged .4 steals last season in 28 minutes a game. That's nuts. What do we always say on this podcast? The easiest way to tell if somebody's playing hurt is their field goal percent way below their career mark and is their steal rate way below their career mark. Those are gimmies. Will Barton was not healthy at all last year, and I think there was an expectation that he had lost his job to... I don't know, maybe Malik Beasley, although he ended up getting traded here, but he wasn't at the beginning of the year. Had he lost his job? Maybe. The answer was maybe. Maybe he lost his job, but maybe he didn't. And if he didn't, that meant you were looking at a guy that was going to be the starting small forward on a team with the best passing big man in the NBA. He's going to get found. He's going to go back to getting 11 or 12 shots a game, and he's going to go back to hitting 45% of them. There wasn't that big of a difference last year to this year other than he was healthy. So his minutes were back up because he could stay on the floor. And everything kind of moved with it. It looked an awful lot like two years ago. Two years ago, he averaged 15.7. This year, he averaged 15.1. What was the difference? He took about half a free throw less. 2.8 free throws Uh, Two seasons back, 2.3 this year. Actually rebounded better this season. Interesting little twist there. uh, Steals, blocks, the same two years ago. You know exactly what you're getting with this dude. And everyone forgot about it. And I'll admit, I had a very, very short leash with Barton this season. There were a couple of leagues where I had him, and I actually dropped him after that second game of the year where he put up five points and three steals. But if you had Will Barton for even three games to start this year, you basically had him for the whole season. By the third game, it was clear he was going to be playing starters minutes because in two of his first three games, he had 19 and 13 points. The other one was the bad one. After that, it went 19, 15, 20, 13, 21, 17... He had double-digit rebounds in three of the next six games. He had four more assists in four of the next five games. He is actually, believe it or not, one of the more consistent fantasy players out there. Consistent in his game translates every season without any real changes. I guess I just defined the word consistent. Congratulations, Dan. Good audio. What I mean, if I can drill down a little bit deeper, when we talk about guys like C.J. McCollum and Clay Thompson, set it and forget it, guys. Guys that put up the exact same numbers every year, provided their minutes are the same. You can draw a perfectly linear line through Will Barton's stats. Some of these guys, you see the curves kind of level off a little bit. Like the guys that play 22 minutes 
and then they get ramped up to 26 or 27, but their production doesn't actually go up because they just they can't go as hard when they're on the floor for the extra six, seven minutes a game. With Barton, it's a line, man. Three seasons back, he played 29 minutes a game, had 13 and a half points, and four and a half rebounds. He's one of those guys where per 36s actually make sense. Because if he got to 36 minutes, the numbers would just go right with it. Linear fantasy stat sets are kind of hard to find in the modern NBA. It doesn't usually work like that. Guys usually either do more, they go harder when their minutes are down, and they dial it back when their minutes are up. With Barton, it's just the same. You just extend the numbers. He's a simple one. You get a per-minute production number on Will Barton, and as soon as you figure out how many minutes he's playing, you know exactly what his fantasy stats are going to be. And by the way, he signed next year and as a player option for the year after that. And there's no one breathing down his neck anymore. Michael Porter Jr., is that who we're going to hear about breathing down his neck? I think Gary Harris is more at risk than Will Barton. Or neither. Or neither. Because Paul Millsap, he's off the, the deal, so their depth decreasing, traded away some depth because they couldn't afford it, basically. So where do we think Will Barton's going to go next year? I actually think he probably gets drafted later than he finished this season. Even though there's almost no reason to think that his numbers change much year over year. Who's going to do more or less? Unless the Nuggets make a significant change in the offseason... I think we have a pretty good idea of what this team is. In fact, Paul Millsap, contract expiring, Jeremy Grant moving into the starting lineup, you actually probably get a guy who takes fewer shots. I think Millsap is probably more aggressive on offense than Grant, right? So does that even potentially open up a little bit? Probably not. Negligible. But you could very easily see Will Barton hit 30 minutes again next year and be a top 75 guy again next year. I would happily take Will Barton anywhere beyond 75. Easy. Can't wait to find out his ADP. I'm hoping that it drops back towards the 100 mark. I don't think he's going to be going near 140 like he was this year. He's probably wiped that out by being pretty good this season. But he actually could have even been better. His free throw percent was down about 3% from that career high mark of 80 so he actually could have been inside the top 60 if his free throw percent comes back up a little bit. Do I think he's going to be inside the top 60 next year? No, but I do think he's inside the top 75, and I think we can probably get him at some sort of decent price. And that's where we're going to put and pit in things uh, for today. Tomorrow, we'll talk to Steve Vidovich. That'll get us through the weekend. On Monday, we'll pick up with uh, free agent, my favorite free agent number five, which is a shame because I tease you to Monday's show with Evan Fournier. Don't worry about that. We got some good names on the list. We'll talk about those on Monday again tomorrow. Steve, I am Dan Vespers. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody. The countdown clock, eight weeks and one day till NBA. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.